0: This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on the show, we will be talking to Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, who joins us from Colorado Springs in the US. Karen is a president and CEO of Trans Leadership Inc. and the 2021 recipient of the RHR uh, International Excellence in Consultation Award, host of the Voice of Leadership podcast host of the Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership TV show and author of Lead Yourself First, a senior leader's guide to engaging your people for greater performance and impact. So for more than 30 years, uh, Karen has worked with values-based and Christian corporate executives in secular businesses. She advises executives on how to create a powerful leadership legacy uh, that leaves the organization the people and themselves transformed and equipped for the next chapter. Uh, She's also a trained clinical psychologist served in the army as an officer and psychologist so welcome Karen delighted to have you here with us today.
1: Thank you so much Patrick I'm very glad to be with you today.
0: Tell me uh, uh, Karen uh, in an overview say uh, what has been your your career to date so how did you come to be where you are now because
1: as I said in the the intro you, you served in active service in the army isn't that right? Yes I was an active duty army officer and also psychologist as well And I've done many different roles in my current company, been in my current company for about 26 years, also worked for about five years for the Center for Creative Leadership for people who are familiar with that organization, their premier training organization and leadership with uh, corporate executives as well. And it all started really Patrick in childhood, because when I was in the sixth grade, that's when I decided that I wanted to be a psychologist. And my vision of it at the time was being in private practice, which I did do for a number of years as well. And it was really when I was in the army that I saw the potential of the psychology tools for business And so I thought, well, later on, I'll probably do a business application of psychology because in the Army, we had to do both. We had to do treatment of soldiers and we had to look at organizations and deal with leadership. And I thought, oh, that sounds fun, too. Although I originally had not started out thinking about it.
0: Okay. So uh, how come you wanted to be a psychologist at such a tender age? How did you become even exposed to that at that at that time?
1: That's a good question, because certainly no one in my family was in a field even remotely related to psychology. And I had a vision that there was a column in the local newspaper in the United States that was called the Dear Abby column. People would write in, they'd have problems and issues, and then she would answer and I thought, this is what psychologists must do. They must have people in their office and address this. And I'm the I'm the oldest of four children. So I kind of functioned in that role with my brothers and sisters anyway. And then with my parents, they always consulted me. So I was a consultant in childhood. <laughs> they consulted me about many things. And I was very much a leader, very much had viewpoints and opinions about things that were used by other people so i think it was just a, a gifting early on in in my life
0: and in trans leadership which is your business today what services do you provide to your clients and how do they benefit from working with you
1: predominantly what i do is executive advisement so generally speaking i'm working with the executive leader of the company or someone who's one of the executive leaders if it's a very large Global organization. And historically, I've worked more with global publicly held companies. Currently, I'm doing a lot more work with more mid sized to large privately held companies and still working with the executive leaders and the executive teams. So, with the leaders themselves, I'm really focusing my efforts with them on critical conversations about the business that they really need to have, thinking about what's going on and what decisions need to be made. And very often these people don't have other places where they can just talk about anything. So that's one of my roles. With the executive teams is getting them to think more enterprise wide. What can they do collectively as an executive team that's different from what they might do in their individual silos that advances the business. And so it's really helping with that lens. And then occasionally at times, I'm working with what I call high performance teams in an organization. I really do believe that it's high performance teams that do the bulk of the work and they've got to learn how to communicate with one another, how to operate in such a way that they're going to get the best results for the business. So I'm often called in to do some work with them. And then I would say for my medium sized to large, small companies, I also do some executive selection work so that they get the right people in the right places, they're integrated into the organization, and then we develop those people as we go along. All of this really facilitates what I call getting the company to a place of creative advantage. What's going to benefit them in the marketplace and also benefit their customers in the marketplace? And what will allow them to become what I call a partner of choice? So moving beyond just vendor or commodity to really becoming a partner of choice. And overall, from the executive's perspective, through doing all of these things, they're creating a powerful leadership legacy and they're resourcing their organization, resourcing the people in their organization and making a good decision about what's next for them.
0: At the individual, personal level, psychologically, What is the greatest obstacle that you find with people in reaching their their potential? What stands
1: in their way? Very often, I would say it's being stuck in doing things the way they've always done them or believing that there are more barriers than really exist and not taking the time to spend the time to think creatively enough about the business to identify ways of operating that they may not have thought of or didn't occur to them. And very often, the senior leaders and executives also have to remember they're not the only ones alone who have to come up with this. That's why they've got great people they've hired around them so they can have those conversations internally as well and figure out the best pathways forward. So sometimes it's the success of the past, not knowing how to do something different, you know, getting stuck in that comfort zone.
0: Is, uh, is self-esteem an issue you know in, in a way people look at us from the outside and you know we might be managers or we might be broadcasters or whatever and people look at us and we and they see us as being successful and being being confident and so on but we inside ourselves see our own flaws and and that knowledge of our own internal flaws does that uh, sometimes impede us from taking the next step from moving on from where we are. Do you
1: find that? I'm sure that's certainly true of some people. What I see most often, because some of the companies that I work with, they're in what I call a transition phase. So they're transitioning, let's say, from a large, small to middle-sized company or from medium-sized to large. And when you're in those transitions, you have to think about what's required to build the infrastructure and the foundation we need for our larger size. So very frequently, they don't have always the experience for the next level, may not even have the exact skills, interests, or inclinations to do what's needed at the next level. And so it's a hesitancy to move forward because that's not their superpower or it's not their strong suit. So if anything, it might be how do I how do I step into that and learn it or hire someone to run, you know, this part of the business while I rise up to even a higher level in the organization? That's what I find is challenging It's like because it's hard. I've never done it before and I don't know how to do it. I'll just keep doing what I was doing, which doesn't benefit the business.
0: Okay, and you have published a book called Lead Yourself First. So could you tell us what's the what's the premise of the book and what are the main
1: arguments that you set out in the book? The book is really designed for the individual leader to think about their own life journey, because I'm really a strong believer that your experiences along the journey of life and what you've encountered these are these are the treasures in essence that you can share with other people that also inspires and encourages them to get through some difficult times. And yet a lot of leaders have not taken the time to think about, well, what are those milestones in my own life? What have I learned from my own leadership journey that positions me to, to, to really be credible in my own organization? So the book is my way of saying, Here's some examples you know, from my life, not that these are relevant for you, but the point is that there are questions in there to get the person to reflect on what's happened in my life that I could pay attention to and also share. So I, mean, I could give you an example, like when I was in the army, one of the things that I just never wanted to do, and it was certainly a factor in whether I wanted to be in the army or not, I was not naturally an army oriented person, and it was uh, rappelling off of mountains. And I said to the recruiter, I, I just don't want to ever do that. And he says, well, you're a psychologist. You're probably never going to have to do that. And here I am one day looking up at this 25-foot tower about to rappel <laughs> and thinking back to that conversation with the recruiter. And I was petrified. It, it was the last thing in life I wanted to do, and of course I learned. And when I and it's always it's daunting from the ground, and it's even more daunting as you climb up that straight ladder that has no incline to get to the top of the wall. That was more frightening than I ever imagined it would be. I get to the top of the wall, there's a sergeant standing up there and he's saying, okay, now it's time to repel. I said, I think I'm going back down. No, you're not going back down. And so I had to figure it out and I wasn't elegant about figuring it out either because I'm at the top of the wall and I forgot everything I had learned in the training on the ground. I'm holding myself up there. I said, I can't hold all this weight. Well, you're not supposed to let go of the rope. I'm going to die. No, there's someone down here. The belay master's there to, to, you know, if anything happens, they could yank you in midair. So when I think about this story, I mean, I push through the fear to get this done. I went up the tower several times to master the 25 foot one, then went to the 50 foot tower, mastered that. Then that afternoon we were rappelling off the hills and mountains. And and I said, you need someone at the top of the wall in your life who won't let you quit on yourself. That's one of the things you also need that belay master who could stop you in midair, you know, if need be. And there were lots of lessons out of that that I learned. And I learned that you know, even with fear, you can get something done that's difficult and you can practice it and be enriched as a result. Interesting, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so in your work today, what kind of practical issues, so now not not so much the uh, psychological individual issues that people face, what kind of practical business issues are? Uh, uh, companies and executives and companies facing today as our societies across the world are emerging now from this emergency
1: phase of the coronavirus pandemic? What's on their plate? Quite a lot, because the pandemic, at least I don't know what's happening in Dublin, but in the United States, the pandemic is far from over, Patrick. It is far from over. And we have a lot of confusion in the United States and a lot of division in terms of where people are and what they understand. And this affects businesses because you've got people who are vehemently against taking the vaccine. Some for some reasons that actually make sense and others maybe not because there's a lot of misinformation that's out there and people don't know what's true, what's not true. So I think that the business leader has got to think about what is sound, accurate and true information that I can provide to the workforce so they can make informed decisions about what they're gonna do. And a lot of the clients that I'm working with who are in manufacturing and in construction, they're working on government projects, they're working on big projects where it's required to be vaccinated to be on site. So if their employees choose not to be vaccinated, then they have a problem of not having enough personnel who can really go and do the work. And so being able to allow some degree of personal flexibility and choice with certain consequences, like our president, you know, President Biden just announced last week that those who choose not to be vaccinated in private companies, they will have to be tested on a weekly basis. So managing all of that, dealing with the fallout, in the workplace has been huge. I think over this pandemic year and a half, a lot of the work I've been doing with my clients is related to messaging, you know, about, you know, the the whole pandemic and how are we going to continue to do our business in spite of it and managing the emotions of people in the workplace. Initially fear, fear of dying, fear of you know, bringing some kind of contaminant home to their families. And now it's a fear of being poisoned by vaccines and other things. So, I mean, there's always something and it's not even the core work of the business, but it affects the ability of the business to do its core work. Yeah. So I guess
0: um, these challenges, the the, the fear and the, and the regulations and the resistance are giving rise to shortages, shortages of personnel that then turn into shortages of service and shortages of supply and so on. So this is why I think everybody is talking about supply chain, right? Um, Like years ago, nobody ever spoke about supply chain. It it was there and your yogurt turned up in the fridge and your newspaper turned up and your download turned up and the whole thing was there. And now everybody, everybody from television reporters to politicians are talking about supply chain. Um, So what do you know? noticing in the U.S. now with regards to the supply chain knock-on effects of these
1: difficulties that people and companies are having? Yes, thank you, Patrick, for that question. And let me frame it in this way. You know, my expertise is in leadership. And so I'm always looking at the leadership lens of supply chain or whatever else my customers are facing. And so here's what I see. And you're right, that there is definitely a talent challenge because I have some clients that are working in very specialized industries that require a lot of expertise on the part of the workforce. You can't just hire someone off the street. They've got to have gone to specialized schools to learn the craft of the business that they're working in for the construction industry and so on. So those people are hard to find. And then if depending on where the client is located, it may be difficult to attract a person to that geographic location. And particularly at the salary rates that that the person wants or with the benefits that they may be accustomed to. So for example, if they're moving from New York to Colorado, that's not going to feel like a good deal for them. Although the cost of living is lower in Colorado. So, but they may not understand all of those dynamics. So you have, you have, Those kind of issues for sure with personnel keeping enough people to really do the work. In addition, I think what's really going on now with customers, customers are less flexible than they had been in the past. And so with that being the case, a lot of, I'll call them one-sided sort of contracts are written, everything's in favor of the general contractor and so on. And those who are the suppliers and deliverers of the specific services who would normally be my clients, they're sort of left to hold the bag of if things don't go right, even if the general contractor did not do what they were supposed to do, and it causes the, the calendar to shift in an unfavorable way, they're much more likely nowadays to apply the liquidated damages approach and really charge exorbitant fees to, you know, people because maybe they can't meet the deadline and not just because of failings on their own part, but the job sites weren't ready from the GC point of view and all of that. So I think we're dealing with a lot of those kinds of issues as well as employees thinking, do I really want to work twenty four 24-7 because, you know, we've got personnel shortages Maybe I'll retire early or maybe I'll just stay home with my family. So there's all of that. Yeah, there's a lot of
0: uh, pressures from different uh, sides coming on. And I have noticed quite a few people, um, professionals in particular, reassessing their career priorities. Have you have you seen that? I've seen some people make some spectacular
1: and very surprising changes. Absolutely. And what we cannot forget is what is going on in people's personal lives. And this really varies significantly from person to person and also different ethnic and cultural groups. For example, in the United States, African-American and Native American people are disproportionately negatively affected by the virus and also the vaccine. So some people have got to make decisions about needing to be home to care for relatives that are going through difficult scenarios or they're going through a lot of personal loss, a lot of deaths amongst family and friends. And so it does call into question what's important to me. Where do I want to spend my remaining years and my time? And the priority may shift from the workplace more decidedly, let's say to the family or personal interests, because I think death has shown people life is short. Yeah. Life is short.
0: Yeah. And um, you, do you work internationally, uh, Karen, as well as in the U.S.?
1: Oh, yes. In fact, over the, I'd say, 30 plus years that I've been doing consulting, my business has always been um, international. I've worked in Germany, worked in France, worked in Belgium, you know, worked in Bahrain in the Middle East, worked in Saudi Arabia, <laughs> all mm. kinds of places. And, and that's been over the years now. And then last Canada, that's right up, you know, right above us. Uh, I worked on often enough in Canada, I actually had a work permit there, you know, to, to do some work with clients I had in Canada. In since the pandemic, I've been working predominantly in the U.S., although if it's a larger company, those global companies have historically also had operations elsewhere. So my work has always involved speaking with leaders in other countries, even if it's a country I didn't go to. Like, for example, I've worked with leaders in China, India and so on. I never went there, but sometimes they came here or we worked virtually, you know, on a platform similar to this. But before we had these platforms, companies had their own telephone and so on. So, yeah, always in the past globally. My family is less excited about me working globally now as, you know, in comparison to the past. Like when I went to the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, it was right after some bombings of some American territories and things. And and they were worried to death. They didn't know if I'd come back alive or not. So there's always the safety issue, too. So over over the last
0: 30 years or so, there's been uh, increasing globalization. It's become easier to do business overseas um to move money to um to communicate um to exchange ideas and so on but in the last four five six years you know here in europe we had brexit then you had uh, uh, trump, Uh, election in the the US, and he kind of moved things away from uh, multilateralism. Uh, We've had the pandemic as well, which has kind of caused countries or regions to close in on themselves. So where do you think we are in this process of globalization? Has it stopped? Are we in reverse? Is this just
1: a blip or is it changing form? What do you think? I think everything in this season is changing form. I'll say, I'll put it that way. I think globalization it's here to stay. I don't think that anyone's closed the door on that. And in fact, some of these virtual formats have increased the kinds of conversations that we can have with people globally without necessarily having to travel. I think that if this had been um, five years ago, you and I might not even be talking in this format. So I think there are more opportunities. It's probably gonna look a little different in the future. We don't even know exactly what that might mean. I think there's so much to be gained from globalization that it's you're not going to be able to put that genie back in the bottle. <laughs> That's sure. what I think.
0: So as we uh, as we come towards the the end now, maybe I'll just uh, change gear and just ask you a little bit about yourself. What kind of things do you like to do in your spare time when you're not working and so
1: on? And when there's not a pandemic, <laughs> when there's not a pandemic, on. <laughs> one thing I can do all the time. Pandemic and I love reading. I love reading books and I, I'm reading things all the time. Uh, my favorite place to go for relaxation, vacation, and a refresh of the mind is the ocean. It's at the ocean that I really feel the sense of the, I call it the awe of God in creating the universe. <laughs> I, that I know I'm going make
0: you envious now. If I look out the top window of my house, I can see the ocean. Oh, my gosh. Yes.
1: Because that's You're where I always Colorado go. You're in Colorado Springs, right? You're in the middle no of the continent. Ocean. I can look out the window and see Pikes Peak, which is a wonderful yeah. sight. Was, we've got mountains here. I grew up in the U.S. on the East Coast on the Atlantic Ocean. So that's where my heart is, is always the ocean. It doesn't have to be Atlantic. I love the Pacific. I love any ocean. And so, yeah, I'd come to Dublin and be at that ocean as well. <laughs> that's my favorite because I, I, other things I enjoy. I love international travel. I like meeting people from different countries, different cultures and engaging with them. That's fun to me. I love Broadway theater in New York. There's nothing that beats that, you know, when I'm in New York and just going to a play. People, I love musicals, but I love straight plays, just straight drama. You know, that's one of my favorites. And then music, music in small venues, like watching a a jazz ensemble or something like that.
0: And are you are you reading anything uh, at the moment or any audio books or podcasts that, you know, are inspiring you that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, let me let me mention a couple of podcasts that I find interesting. One is um, a podcast. The host is out of the UK. The podcast is called The Business Elevation Show with Chris Cooper. He recently just celebrated 10 years of doing his podcast. So he was an early adopter to the technology one of the things I love about his show is he brings interesting people who are not only doing great work and challenging themselves, they're also giving back to society in some profound ways. So I find his show inspiring in that way. I also would recommend JV Crumb III, who has numerous podcasts, but the two that I really like is a brand new one that's called Limitless, because it's all about taking yourself outside of the constraints in the boxes to really do more than you thought you could do. And what and the Conscious Millionaire podcast, and he's written a book on that as well. So those are the podcasts I'd recommend. As far as books now, this will seem like an odd one maybe to have on the list. I find the Bible to be an excellent <laughs> book to read, even though it's <laughs> older and ancient well, I believe much. I believe it's a bestseller, right? I believe that's it's a bestseller, bestseller. <laughs> and there's a lot for life in it. I read it every day. So that's one of the books that's always on my list. And then uh, maybe a bit more traditional, uh, a book by Kevin Harrington, who's one of the Shark Tank originals and Daniel Priestley is called uh, Key Person of Influence. I really like that book because not only is is it useful for individuals to think about how to be more influential? I find the principles applicable to my clients and to their businesses as well. And then a third book I'd say is by Earl Nightingale. And this book is from the success you know, culture and industry. He was a radio host back in the 60s, wrote many books. But one that I really like is called Lead the Field. And again, it's being a leader in whatever it is that you do. And it talks about the mindset that's important behind that.
0: Excellent. So where can people find out more about you and and your
1: work and how can they
0: contact you if they wish to?
1: They can find out about me from my website, which is www.transleadership.com. They can also write to me at Doctor Karen, K-A-R-E-N, at transleadership.com. And they can also find my podcast, The Voice of Leadership, and listen to that as well. Excellent. It's been
0: an absolute pleasure, Karen, talking to you today. And I wish you every success, both
1: personally and professionally. Thank you so much, Patrick. A delight to speak with you as well. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: You're very welcome. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning in and any comments or questions, just drop me a line on pdaily, P-D-A-L-Y at albalogistics, A-L-B-A-Logistics.com and keep well and stay safe until next time.